This episode of the American Birding Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Beautyo Books. Remember that ABA members get a discount on all orders from Beautyo Books. You can check them out at beautyobooks.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. The dusky Tetraka is back, or more strictly speaking, it never left. Don't call it a comeback. It's been there for years, tucked into a very difficult to access corner of Madagascar and looking far too much like a closely related species for non-birders to recognize. I love a Lazarus species. I'm sure you do too. The dusky Tetraka is a small olive colored thrushy warbler thing. It eluded searchers for 24 years. Well, sort of. More on that in a bit. But it was one of the top 10 most wanted lost birds, according to a list produced by the American Bird Conservancy, BirdLife International, and an organization called Rewild. But it is lost no longer. The bird was found in a remote part of northwestern Madagascar at a place where, in recent years, both Madagascar serpent eagle and red owl were also discovered. The team spent several months searching for it at a site that requires a 40-hour drive and a half-a-day hike up steep mountains. And while it is certainly impressive that these searchers found this bird after 24 years, I think it is noteworthy to point out that no one had visited the site since 1999, which, if you're doing the math, was the last time it was seen. I'm not trying to discount the effort these researchers put into finding the bird, which was undeniably significant. Perhaps I'm only saying that bird science is limited by the fact that only a few people are actually searching for some of these birds because the effort is so difficult and the baseline knowledge for some of these species, dusky tetraca included, is so insignificant in the first place. For all that we do know about bird distribution, there are some species that have just, pardon the pun, flown under the radar for any number of reasons. The most notable here is that the species is found in a part of Madagascar that not many scientists slash birders from the global north access. This isn't uncommon. Roger Safford of BirdLife International notes, several species from the extraordinary island of Madagascar were until fairly recently lost, but have been found and are now regularly seen. I guess time will tell whether Dusky Tetraka becomes one of them. Malagasy people had been there, however, noted by the fact that what was habitat 24 years ago is vanilla farms today. The bird was found downslope a bit in an area with a river, which the researchers state might be part of the explanation why it has gone unnoticed for so long. Rushing water makes hearing birds rather difficult, as any birder can attest. So there are a lot of very unique reasons why this bird was quote-unquote missing for so long. To paraphrase Leo Tolstoy, every extant bird is alike, but every lost bird is lost for its own reasons. Perhaps future years we'll see similar exciting news from searches for Himalayan quail or Itambwe nightjar. Maybe they were always where we expected them to be, it's just no one was looking. On the show this week, Ted Floyd comes by to chat about some birding. He and I did no lost birds, only found ones. It's eBird annotated, all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the beginning of March 2023. A couple firsts to report this week, one from West Virginia, where an apparent tufted duck was discovered in Preston County. This isn't completely out of the blue, as the widespread old-world diving duck has been recorded in all states surrounding West Virginia and is an annual vagrant to the Northeast. There is some discussion, based on the shape of the tuft, that this might be a hybrid with ring-necked duck. That question remains open. 
and down to Florida, which has had an exceptional opening to 2023, where a little bunting was photographed at a feeding station in Pensacola. This would be a Florida first and a first for the eastern half of the continent. Little bunting is an old world species of the Emberiza genus, superficially similar but not related to our new world sparrows in the Passerellidae family. Like most old world songbirds, it is most frequently encountered in the ABA area and Alaska, where it is almost annual. There are additional records from Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, and one from Baja, California. Obviously, none east of the Great Plains save this one, though it's not completely unheard of for East Asian passerines to wander so far. Florida has records of a couple different wagtail species that had to have come by the same path. And from North Carolina, a two-hour wonder record of red-footed booby made all the more noteworthy for being about 150 miles inland in Wake County near Raleigh. Not only was this the second record of the species for the state, but it might be the farthest inland record of this species anywhere in the world. Those are the highlights for the week. For the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. You can also follow along with all the rare bird news you want in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. I am joined once again by my colleague, Ted Floyd, editor of Birding Magazine. And we are going to do something that we have not done in some time. A couple of years ago, in the midst of the pandemic, Ted and I came up with an idea where we would um, go to our local hotspots, a place that we could reach without leaving, going very far beyond our homes and, and compare our eBird checklist for that time. And it's just so funny that it happens to be almost exactly two years ago that we did this. So here we are again in 2023 at a time when the pandemic is mostly waning, uh, at least in the back of our minds instead of the front of our minds. And uh, we did it again. We're going to go to annotate our eBird checklist and talk about our eBird checklist. Ted, how are you? Welcome I'm back. Doing fine. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, always fun to do these little uh, these little bits. I yeah. guess with yeah, it's sort of it's it's random birds, but at a, a very small scale very compared to the, uh, the yes, very very scale. localized and personalized. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, what as I said before, what Ted and I did was we both went to a place nearby our homes. We did an eBird checklist. We went birding for oh an hour, hour and a half, like you do on a normal day. And um, we created eBird checklists. We populated those eBird checklists with media. And we're going to talk about those eBird checklists just, uh, yeah, just as, as birders. I don't, I don't really know how to explain what we're doing here. We've, we've called it eBird annotated in the past. We'll have a link to those checklists. Um, let's, just, let's just jump right into it. Ted, where did you go? Right. So I went to, as you said, my local patch. It is mm -hmm. incredibly local. If there's a really, really good bird at the uh, the, the boardwalk, it's a 60-minute run. Um, okay. And it's uh, only about a sort of a two to two and a half minute walk if there's a decent bird uh, out there. So um, it is nearby. The place is called, well, sort of a combination of places. The name of the bird hotspot is Wanaka Lake slash Greenlee Preserve. And it actually extends to a third uh, site called uh, Hecla pond. So I am in Colorado, as I think many of you all know. I'm in the Denver metro region, just uh, northwest of the city, so uh, a little bit closer to the mountains. If you were to draw a line straight west from my house for 10 miles, almost exactly 10 miles, you'd be at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, uh, but I'm sort of technically out on the plains, although close enough that I can certainly see the mountains uh, day or night. Yep, and my checklist is, it's funny that you asked, um, asked if we wanted to, do, we wanted to do this again, Ted, because um, this this is traditionally not a great time of mm -hmm. year to go birding, at least at my latitude, and perhaps at at yours as well. We're sort of past the 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 deepest of the winter. 
Um, but we are still a few weeks away from migration really kicking up in earnest. There are some birds that are clearly looking like they are getting ready to move or getting ready to breed, but it's still very light. So I went to eBird and I was looking at all the local checklists that people had submitted in my county to choose a place to go to. And uh, they were all checklists of like 10 birds, 12 birds. And I was, I was feeling like I was not going to find a place with a whole lot of options until one checklist kind of randomly came out of the list that uh, with 50 some species mm-hmm. on it, I was like, well, let's check that out. And it ended up being Burmill Park, which is a, uh, I live in Greensboro, North Carolina. So it's the Western Piedmont. I cannot see the mountains mm-hmm. like you can, Ted, but we are a little more elevation than uh, places further to the east, like Raleigh, Durham, that uh, folks might be more familiar with. Um, so I, um, I, I kind of went down a path there and I couldn't find my way out of it. <laughs> um, you so went I, burning. <laughs> I went burning. I went, I went to Burmill Park, which is a, a Greensboro city park. It's kind of, when you think of a city park, it's sort of what you imagine it to be. There's a, there's a pool, there's a small um, nine hole par three golf course. There's a greenway that runs past it. There's a bunch of picnic shelters. There, there's some woods there and some trails. They say it abuts the lake, Lake Brant, um, which is one of the three large reservoirs in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I thought, oh, 50 species, that sounds great. It was only a couple days ago, I'll go there. And so uh, that's where I went. It's not terribly unique for the region, um, but it you know, had a nice selection of both water birds and land birds and sort of park birds. Um, so that, that's what I have on my list. What was your total species count? It just so happens, Nate, that our yeah. uh, lists are same number of species. Yeah, um, who would have thought? We, we both, well, you know, who would have thought? I mean, thir- but we both had, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, you had 35 and I had 35, 35 species. Yep. And as you said, sort of similar effort there. Um, I started at, I don't have it right in front of me, but I want to say 922 in the morning and went over mm-hmm. just over an hour and a half. And although I'm um, quite some distance west of you, I, I feel like my experience sort of just locally was very similar to yours. I was yeah. at a, basically a, an open space, a greenway, uh, just, just like you said, mm-hmm. uh, three small ponds uh, within this sort of ecosystem of if I can sort of misuse that term uh, right there, um, th- three small ponds, uh, d- d- trails. Um, oh, there's a frisbee golf course and playground mm-hmm. and yeah, a basketball okay. course. Oh, and yeah. of course, you know, the uh, all the rave now. There's a new pickleball court. Uh, oh my goodness, is, uh, we yeah, had yeah, a pickleball yeah, court at my place too. See, oh, yeah. we're having a totally convergent experience here. So <laughs> you know, so it's sort of built up, but also you know, largely protected. The um, there are a lot of just uh, areas that aren't mowed or yeah, otherwise exactly. manicured. So um, some really sort of nice little tangles and sort of shrubby patches no real forest but some you know decent stands of trees yes. and uh, oh bird yeah. feeders too which can be quite valuable oh, i didn't have any bird at this, feeders, yeah, so. at this yeah, time of the year i'm also, also just mentioned about the um the weather so it's mm. it's still winter here when i started it i think as i said 922 it was only 24 degrees fahrenheit that's a minus four for our friends in canada and for that matter everywhere else in the civilized world but uh, so it started off cold we'd had a snowfall overnight but the snow was melting quickly during the morning so it was it was pretty wintry out there it was you know well below freezing and there was fresh snow on the ground but brilliant sunshine no wind and a really beautiful day yeah it, it, i did not have a beautiful day it has <laughs> been we are we're in that court of sort of late winter uh wet mess season mm. that we get here in the southeast um it's been a very mild winter that's not in and of itself and not totally unusual. Uh, I don't recall needing to go out without wearing more than a a hooded sweatshirt Mm. most days, um, which is sort of um, a Southeast thing. It was uh, 57 degrees on Mm. the CVS clock that Mm. I drove past on my way to Burmill Park. 
which if you're doing the Celsius conversion, I just did that while you were talking, <laughs> uh, is about 14 degrees Celsius. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pleasant, uh, but it was wet. It was a wet day. It rained quite a bit last night and there was a lot of mud on the ground and uh, just got kind of that overcast, drizzly sort of day, uh, late winter day that we get a lot this time of year. Okay. Well, brilliant bluebird blue sky in uh, Colorado wish, and, and sub-freezing wish. temperatures and but the same number of birds in same North Carolina birds. and Colorado. Yeah. So how did you approach your site? Well, physically, literally yeah. on, on foot. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah, well, I, I mean, birding I mean, your site, but yeah, sure. <laughs> right, right. Well, so th- this is my patch. I, I'm sort of embarrassed to say what I'm about to say, but I mean, I've birded it certainly more than 10,000 times since I lived here. I mean, it's, it's literally within, I mean, not even walking distance. It's, it's a stone's throw. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. you have to be, have a good arm, but it's, it's really a good stone's yeah. yeah, stone's throw from my, from my front door. So I, I pretty much just found the binoculars, found the camera, found a recorder, put on a jacket, got gloves and a hat and off I went. Um, I sort of, I, I burdened this sort of very weird polygonal um, uh, sort of a, uh, perimeter around the entire site uh, sort of go from one pond and around that and around the other and around the other so that um pretty much prevents me from sort of walking back in the direction i i went i i think i put in maybe three and 3.6 miles I, I had to delete mm-hmm. some backtrack miles i mean the total amount of miles i walked was a little bit more but there wasn't much backtracking at all so yeah i just i walked around and looked at birds and stopped whenever i heard something or saw something yeah. and took a few pictures and after almost two hours i was ready to come back yeah Yeah, uh, for me um i i got there i parked um it's about you know five minute drive away from my house um and i got to i walked immediately down to the lake shore and just started scanning with my scope for um for ducks uh the person who had filled out the 50 odd species Mm -hmm. checklist uh, earlier in the week had had several species of of diving ducks out on the lake i did not have quite that much luck had a trio of buffle heads off the Mm -hmm. side but none of the other sort of uh, kind of large pond ducks that you imagine this time of year, like a hooded merganser or ring ringneck duck. Um, none of those, just the buffle heads and some and some double crested cormorants. Um, but I did get belted kingfisher, ABA bird of the year, oh, twenty twenty three. So I thought about nice getting belted kingfisher, and I tried for it at several spots, but uh, yeah. it was not in the card survey this morning. Yeah. Um, but you, you actually just brought up something that I was wondering about, and maybe you've done the analysis already. But so we both mm-hmm. had 35 species. Yeah. And I'm putting us both on the spot here because I have not looked into this, but I'm wondering how many we had in common. Have you actually looked at that yet? I, I was it? glancing over okay. our checklist when you sent me the checklist uh, not, mm-hmm. not all that long ago. And I did notice we had some, some you had a lot more ducks than I did. I didn't have right. really as much yep. mm-hmm. luck with ducks, but there's a lot of overlap. Uh, you had Canada geese. Well, I, this park, this park I went to, has a golf course. So of course, there are going to be Canada mm-hmm. geese on that. Um, mallard, yeah, I had, I had mallard. I had um, you. Had, did you have bufflehead? I don't think you had bufflehead. No, no, I had a no, lot of other. You had all the other ones, yeah. 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 And then um, once we get down to the perching birds, you know, the non-water birds, there's a lot of similar sort of things going on. Like I had three species of corvid. You had three species of corvid. Uh, two of those were the same. Uh, we both had northern flickers. Uh, different different subspecies varieties right yep Mm -hmm. um i did not have any luck with raptors Mm. no raptors for me it was hazy and rainy and i think that probably kept them down um but yeah there's there's a lot of uh a lot of interesting stuff that is is similar but not similar if you know yeah there's overlap but i and this is like so um I don't know, compulsive. I mean, I'm just quickly looking through your list. I'm, I'm just curious. I'm just I'm doing a real quick camera. One, two, three. I'm looking at what, what you had that I didn't have. One, two, three, mm-hmm. four, five, six, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. Hang on. Eleven, twelve, 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. So I think you had 26 species I didn't have. Now, I, wow, I, I did that. Of 35. I did, wow. So, so right. I did that super fast, and I yeah. may have just missed something here. Probably or roughly or, correct. Or, or plus there, or minus two or three. You plus or minus two or three. So, yeah. um, yes, we both had Canada geese. <laughs> that, that's yeah, for sure. And we both true. had American crows. And um, we must, I, you did an American crow, didn't you? Yes, I did. You, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 yeah. So, um, there are differences between North Carolina and Colorado as well. Uh, unsurprising, so, perhaps. But, yeah, um, yeah. but you know, there's a lot of the same niches that are being filled. I think. Um, what was your What was the most I don't know interesting, exciting thing that you saw on your walk this morning? Yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting and exciting aren't necessarily sure. The right, same, it could be but, um, could be the same bird, could not be the so, same. So, uh, well, I, which was the last bird of of the morning, and it was a bird that it's always exciting. It, Less so in a year like this one, but it's the Bohemian waxwing. So mm-hmm. the, the the very last bird I added to my list was a flock of um exactly seventy six Bohemian waxwings, and we'll talk about that yeah, in, yeah. In, in in just a moment. But um, Bohemian waxwings are actually all over the Front Range metro region right now. So the uh, sort That's of the uh, the I twenty five corridor, um, especially to our south uh, in El Paso County, there seem yeah, to be there's a bunch uh, of them even even down into New Mexico, aren't they? Yeah, you're right, quite yeah. a year. Yeah. So, and it seems like uh, often when we get these invasions, and you know, it's it, there's that expression, you know, once in a generation, sort of like a twice in a generation thing. We get mm-hmm. them about every 15 years. The, wow. the, the really, really big numbers here, but it seems like the uh, the biggest uh, aggregations are actually about 100 miles south of where I am, uh, sort of, you know, Colorado Springs, uh, down even south of, of Colorado Springs. But um, so that was the last bird of the day, and always a thrill when a flock of Bohemian waxwings uh, goes yeah. over. But, um, sort of par for the course this year they they really started to show up uh, alas right after the christmas counts so most of the christmas yeah. counts missed them but um sort of starting in january and uh, now we're in march and they're still going um quite thick so a flock of 76 bohemian waxwings oh yeah um that would actually be a life bird for me <laughs> i've never seen bohemian waxwings just have not spent a ton of time in the winter in the far northern yeah, and they, um, right. So, so, sort of for guarantees, you have to stay quite far north, uh, yeah. or you need to time it right with an invasion to um, the Rocky Mount, the Southern Rockies, or, or yeah, less yeah, frequently yeah. the uh, New England. Of course, it does get uh, invasions, but they are kind of more like really once in a generation um, mm-hmm. in New England. So, yeah, I remember um, many, many years ago when I did the Super Bowl of birding in uh, Massachusetts. This is this birding competition in Essex County and Rockingham County, New Hampshire? And um, I went up uh, to bird with some blogging friends back when mm-hmm. blogging was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the blogger head kingbirds. It was um, oh yeah, <laughs> folks you, you might you might remember um, Corey Finger from Ten Thousand oh, sure. Birds mm-hmm. and um, Chris Chaconi who had a, a nice blog. He's a good mm-hmm. photographer. Yep. And um, oh, different years we had different different folks, but I remember Chris and Corey, Patrick Bellardo, uh, mm-hmm. formerly of um, I forget his he had a New Jersey area blog back back before Facebook killed blogging. But um right. we 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 went uh we went up to into New Hampshire uh because Chris had staked out a northern hawk owl. And uh, we did see the northern hawk owl, which was fantastic. Uh but we were also looking for Bohemian waxwings. He had had them there uh the week before. But uh we alas, we were not to see Bohemian waxwings. So my story is a big, this is not a very exciting story. The, the stories about the birds you miss are not always exciting as the birds you see. But um yep. Yeah. That 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 I think this may be the, one of the first times that you've had a, a potential life bird for me on, on cool. these uh, local local lists. One one um, comment I'll make here too, just to, to clarify for folks who may wonder about my use of the word invasion. I'm talking about a full on full scale, yeah, it's, it's, a it's huge number. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I saw it's strange to say this, but 
only 76 bohemian waxwings. That's sort of a small flock. Uh, you know, typically, you know, we're seeing them in the, in the many hundreds. And in the well-birded counties like um, well, the Denver metro counties and also El Paso County, I mean, if you just add up the number of waxwings reported on eBird per day, it's it's in the four figures every single day. So. Probably the same flock just moving around. <laughs> well, it's, it, 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 no. <laughs> if anything, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know you're joking. Before he went, before he went, before he went to, uh, yeah. No, I, but but I, I was reflecting the other day on how um, I think that the flocks there, there are many more flocks in a particular area than people realize, and and that's based on this sort of. Um, analysis of the flock size from from photos where mm-hmm. you know it's hard to explain why a flock would you know be 200 and then 400 and then back down to 350 or something like that and i mean they, mm-hmm. they're pretty cohesive and i suspect they're actually far more waxwings than are being reported oh almost certainly yep. yeah yeah so um as far as i'm concerned the, the most interesting bird yeah. i saw this morning um well i started out it was a, a brown creeper which oh, is, in and of itself is not um a super uncommon bird but this one kind of flew in while I was packing my scope up back in my car to do a quick walk around um, without without carrying that thing around. And uh, it flew into a little pine tree that was all standing all by itself. Usually I see brown, brown creepers kind of tucked into the in the woods more proper where they can kind of do their thing on several trees in a row. But it sure. flew in on a big tree that was standing in the middle of a, of a mowed area. And um, I got to watch it for a while. That was kind of neat. Um, but probably the most interesting thing that I did see was, uh, was Fox Sparrow, oh, nice. which is yeah. always, uh, always a nice bird to encounter. It's not one that I see more than maybe two or three times every winter. Uh, probably one of our least common sparrows in the area. They're, they're very localized. I heard it singing. Oh, so nice. it was singing too. So a lot of the zone, a lot of the birds are, uh, starting to, starting to sing a little bit, especially the migrants. And I came around the corner and I was like, oh, Fox Sparrow in here somewhere. And uh, in this dense stand of kudzu, uh, which is, uh, yeah, not a lot of people like that. But during the winter, it provides mm. really nice kind of dense stuff. The sparrows seem to like there were a pair of a pair of fox sparrows okay. singing away. And, yeah, and, um, and your fox sparrows are those beautiful the red uh, you ones. Know, Eastern yeah. or northern, the, the red yeah. fox sparrow with the uh, just the, the vibrant colors and also that mm-hmm. marvelous song. Yeah, the, uh, lovely song. It's just so much yeah. more clearly enunciated and brilliantly whistled than the, and I, don't, don't get me wrong, I like the Western <laughs> fox sparrows <laughs> as well. We have you know multiple prep species out West here, yeah. but uh, they're they're not as colorful and they don't sing as brightly and beautifully as the, uh, the Eastern slash Northern song sparrows. I'm sorry, fo- fo- fox sparrows do. Do you get both the Eastern and any yeah. of the Western ones where so, you live? The short answer is yes. So yeah. our, our breeder is um, Shastasia, the slate-colored fox sparrow, mm-hmm. and it's uh, quite scarce on migration. I, it may just sort of come in at night. You know, it's a short-distance migrant. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. it just migrates overnight, but it's, it's rarely detected on migration in Colorado. It just sort of shows up on the um, on the breeding grounds. And then uh, the red fox sparrow, the one you have, I think it's Eliaca, is um, a rare but, you know, regular migrant and and winter the in general was with so many things it's colorado the farther south and east you go the more likely you are to encounter them but red fox sparrow is a it's, it's a good bird you know i i would guess on all of our you know many many christmas counts only you know less than a handful you know three or four maybe not even three or four maybe like one or two are reported per year mm-hmm. so it's it's really it's that rare yeah i i don't i don't recall seeing it every i mean there are years you could very easily miss it it's one of those birds that you will see if you spend enough time out um you know maybe once or twice but um it, you can miss it, and I've missed it some years just because I haven't been out as much as I'd like to. And sure. it was really nice to nice to encounter one this morning. Yep, sure. And of course, they breed far to the north. Uh, far to the north. Yeah, yeah so they, they should be gone soon. Win- winters, yeah. yeah, for you. Yeah. Speaking right. of birds that should be gone soon, that was sort of the 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 theme of my morning. Um, mm-hmm. We still have a lot of juncos around, but they are really gathering up in very large flocks, and it looked like they were going to be hitting out too. There were juncos singing, which is not something I I hear very often. 
Um, usually it is only maybe <laughs> a week to 10 days uh, once they start singing before they are they are out of here for, yep. for good. Yeah, I had singing Junkos this morning, uh, sort of sort of wimpy little songs, but, mm-hmm. but songs exactly. all the same. Exactly. And I'm... I suspect all of yours Tuning were slate up. colored. Yeah. Um, yes, all and uh, we had a, or say we, I, I had a, um, a pink-sided junco oh, nice. thing this morning as well. Yeah, so that's that sort of bigger, grayer, really colorful junco that breeds a little bit to our, basically to our west and a little bit to the north. Do they sound uh, different, or do they sound mostly the same? <laughs> so um, to my ear, no. Yeah, um, and I would say spectrographically, no. But there are some very. Uh, credible and um, reputable people who have, I guess, worked out some vocal differences. In fact, it's okay. funny to be talking about uh, pink side with pink sided and white winged versus the others, but uh, it is a slight difference if yeah. that is the case. Um, so um, it's basically the same trail and the same sort of, you know, that, that mm-hmm. chip note they make in that little light, little uh, uh, sort of um, footy flight call that they yeah. give yeah. as well. So yeah, to, to me, the Junkos sound really quite similar. The one uh, dark-eyed Junko that sounds quite different, although it, we don't get it in Colorado, is the, the red-backed Junko, mm-hmm. the Dorsalis down in New Mexico, uh, has a much different song. It sounds That's a little, sort of more, little bit closer to the yellow, yellow-eyed Junko, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, yeah. Um, well, I'd say quite a bit closer in terms yeah. of the, the way it sings. Um, it's kind of I know <laughs> somehow we got into dorsalis juncos yeah, here, but yeah, but, but but no, so it was um, originally described as a subspecies of the yellow-eyed junco, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is so cool, uh, just because. And I get it. I mean, the bill's the same, the songs are the same, the uh, geography is is similar. I mean, there's a big difference in eye color. I get that, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, no, that that that's the one that sounds weird. But except for that junco, so yeah, thanks for <laughs> calling me out on that. Yeah, they sound quite similar to me, but yes, slate-colored Oregon, pink-sided white wing. I, can't really make make out much of a difference there yeah you know i noticed that you put the two different subspecies of juncos i I said i assume that all of mine are slate colored Mm -hmm. um we do have a couple different subspecies here i don't know if ebird if they're ebird distinctive yet we do have that carolina junco the kind of breeds in the southern appalachians that has a different colored bill Mm -hmm. than the kind of classically pink slate colored junco that a lot of people see at their feeders and they do they do come down here in the winter Mm -hmm. you can see them but i i I didn't really look that closely and the light was quite poor. <laughs> and so it's kind of overcast and drizzly. So I didn't really notice a lot of the subtle differences between those birds, but you can tell, you can tell the difference if you go up in the Appalachians above, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, 3,500, 4,000 feet. And um, the juncos are, they have kind of a grayer bill. Yeah. Um, they sound the same to me. <laughs> and since you're east of the mountains, you must get very few, if any of those, what we call Cassie are the, the, oh, the, uh, I, the, the Oregon uh, slate colored. Yeah. Right? I know yeah. people have reported them mm-hmm. in the state, but um, yeah, I've never seen one. Yeah. I've that never... seems to be really sort of a West of the Appalachians. For sure. Yeah. For and sure. and, and yeah. for that matter, sort of West of the Mississippi, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it does seem like a, a fair number do back up to the, uh, the West slopes mm-hmm. of the Appalachian. So like, they get them in Western Pennsylvania you know, hmm. from time to time, but that, but that's West of the mountains. West of the mountains. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I did have, um, Dark Eye Junko, Pine Warbler, and Chipping Sparrow all oh, yes. singing the, together, yeah. which was a bit of a sonic hellscape. That was that was fun. Yeah, it, um, again, this is for <laughs> random birds and random th- thoughts. So I'll have to share this one with <laughs> right. you. Um, but so, so uh, Dark Eye Junko and Chipping Sparrow in season are very common in Colorado, mm-hmm. and uh, Pine Warbler is quite a rarity. But you, you mentioned the, uh, that there was three very similar sounding birds. And I was yeah. in a situation actually in downtown Denver late in May last year where I just was really sort of patting myself on my, the back for really sorting out the juncos and the chipping sparrows really, <laughs> really well. And I looked at one of them and lo and behold, it was a beautiful singing pine warbler. Oh and I, I was, I was yeah. certain that it was either a chipping sparrow or a dark eye junk. I can't remember which one, but I'm, I'm glad I took a look at it because yeah. it turned out to be a, a quite unusual bird for us. But yeah, that dark eye junco chipping sparrow, um, 
Pine Warbler thing is tricky. I, I, pine, actually, to me, Pine Warbler is the easy one. Of those I agree. Three. It, it, I agree. It's, it, you know, that way it sort of modulates your changes um, at the, mid, midway through. That, that's quite distinctive. Well, I mean, if, if learned and, and understood. So. Yeah, and if I'm hearing it from the top of a, uh, pine, <laughs> a love lolly pine tree yeah, and it's 70 right. feet up, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be a Pine Warbler and not a Dark Eye Junko or a Chipping Sparrow, but... You know, any any other places, and it's it gets a little head. Yeah, little I hazy. I used to think I sort of had it figured out spectrographically with the uh, mm-hmm. song elements in um, Chipping Sparrow Rising and and the song elements in Dark Eyed Junko Falling. But the more I looked into bit, it, the, the, yeah. the less I yeah, the less I could find I could support that. You know, in, yeah. in my recordings and also recordings at Macaulay and um, and Zeno Canto. So I I t- ten years ago I was sort of weirdly confident about that, and I <laughs> sort of lost my confidence. And I think there's just an awful lot of similarity. Well, I shouldn't say you know a very um. Uh, overlap. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the the songs of both are so variable um, that I think they can sort of uh, range into the um, sort of zone of of, of the other one. So, yeah. Speaking of sparrows, um, I actually did pretty well on sparrows this morning. I had um, you know the fox being the sort of the mm-hmm. highlight, but also the juncos. White, lots of white-throated sparrows mm-hmm. around. Lots of song sparrows. Eastern towhee, uh, chipping sparrow. Not, nothing out of the ordinary. I was looking for field sparrow in a couple spots where I, mm-hmm. they looked pretty good for them, um, but I didn't. I didn't find any. I don't think there's quite a big enough fields at this park to uh, to host them. You know, they're not going to be in the places that a lot of song sparrows is more overgrown, right? They like yep. it a little more sparsely, sure. sparsely, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, lots of white-throated sparrows. I gave a what was a fairly conservative count of uh, 75. Yeah, I see that. Um, wow. yeah. yeah, there were there were a couple very large flocks, and nice. they would be on the edges. You know, the places where they mow, uh, where they stop mowing, I should say, and. Um, you know, they, they, they like to be over in the overgrown areas, but whenever you're coming up on them, they're all over the kind of mode manicured areas, picking the little, whatever they're finding in there. Um, large flocks of white-throated sparrows mixed in with uh, song sparrows as well. Yeah, song sparrow is a weird miss for me um, this hmm. morning. And to some extent, tree sparrow, American tree sparrow was, although that bird is getting scarce now that it's March, they start to sort of peel mm-hmm. out by around now. So I only had one bird in the family passerality called sparrow, and that was white-crowned yeah. uh, sparrow. But uh, two others that are in that family but go by a different name. So I had our version of the towhee, which is the spotted towhee, mm-hmm. uh, and then the juncos we've talked about. So juncos and sparrow, uh, sorry, juncos and towhees are uh, exemplary sparrows, but they have a different name. So it was sort of a fairly sparrowless uh day for me but the toeys were beautiful and they were calling nicely and the uh white throats i oh, sorry the white crowns were singing as they do actually back to your white throats i was curious sort of a, a, a nice mix of the the tan and the white yeah, birds or, yeah, yep yeah and i guess that's pretty typical to have a sort of a 50 50 mix like Seems that reasonable yeah yeah, yeah. They, they were teeing up quite well i got um some okay photos of them um and uh yeah they like those um like those um uh, multiflora rose bushes. That oh, right. Of, yeah. Um, I remember know, that well. You know, mm-hmm. whenever they mow something down, the first, some of the first plants to come back when they stop are the multiflora roses. And uh, yeah, they're all, all up in there and in the kudzu and all, all that stuff. I think I saw mockingbird on your list. I always associate One, that with multiflora yeah. rose. Was that in a multiflora rose? It was, um, it was by the pickleball courts. Actually. Oh, by the pickleball, the pickleball <laughs> courts is a typical habitat for them. <laughs> but, exactly. Um, <laughs> pickleball courts are good for all sorts yeah. of birds. Probably. But, you know, they're, they're, they've got that, you know, chain link fence around mm-hmm. the pickleball courts and it was like sitting up there nearby. Yep. It was with uh, a bunch of robins, big flocks of robins. Yeah, uh, I didn't have the big, now. the big flocks. You know, we get the big flocks in, in migration, of course, mm-hmm. but that really hasn't happened yet. And then uh, depending on the weather and berries, you know, big flocks in winter, but I had just a handful of robins, none of them singing yet, just sort of doing their winter robin thing. Hey, Nate, I have a, a loaded question for you. Ooh, okay. uh, and it's, um, but, but I, but, I'm just curious. Would you say that your checklist was 
ordinary, average, uh, just, I mean, was it yeah. mediocre? Yeah, 35 species is actually pretty good this mm-hmm. time of year. There were a few things that I missed um, that I probably could have, you know, pushed it towards 40 or even mm-hmm. 45. Yeah. Um, but like, rarities, I mean. No rarities. Yeah. Uh, some early migrants like tree swallow and mm-hmm. um, a lot of birds gathering together in, in sizable flocks. I saw a large flocks of red-winged blackbirds, large flocks of robins, like I said, large flocks mm-hmm. of white-throated sparrows. I'd say it was a, you could go out in a lot of places where there's kind of woods abutting a lake and get a checklist very similar to what mm-hmm. I ended up yep. with. Right. But certainly no state first, no county first, no, 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 no life birds. Yeah. And, and, no. and, and the, as I said, this was, was, was a loaded question. I just wanted to use the opportunity, since we're both talking about our checklist here, to, um, I'm, I'm editorializing here, mm-hmm. but just to sort of um, um, express my deeply held conviction that ordinary checklists are really, really, really valuable yeah. uh, for, 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 for eBird. Um, the, uh, the, the bias toward rarity in, in, in eBird um, yeah. is really pervasive. It's one of the most challenging biases for the analysts to, to, to deal with because um, let's, because when you go out and look at a rare bird and everything's accurate and the counts are good, but you're still looking for that rare bird, there's this bias uh, toward rarity. We had this wild analysis. I think, I want to say Tony Lukering did it. I mean, it sounds like something Tony would have done, but mm-hmm. he showed that there was a particular really well-birded part of Colorado in which there were more checklists with tropical kingbird than yeah. Western kingbird. Oh, we see that too. We see that um, in a lot of places here where, you know, where it looks like, um, you know, a very rare bird will show up on the eBird bar charts as something not rare, like the little green, uh, the, the biggest green bar, the bar yeah. will be yeah. a little wider than you would expect right, right. Uh, for yeah. a bird of that, of that rarity. Yeah, but 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 to, to me, there's just such value in checklists uh, like this. I mean, I, to me, it's just it's also fun just to go out in a, in my yeah. case at least, a, a brilliant sunny morning in, in yeah. early March and and see you know, common birds and get media of them and so forth. But uh, to, to me, these these sorts of checklists, you know, just you and a patch in, in North Carolina, me and a patch in, in Colorado have such value. And I, the reason I'm bringing this up here is just because I, I get the question, and it's a very I think it's a very understandable question, you know, for folks who haven't been e-birding for as long as you and I have, you mm. know, is it worth it, you know, to, to just mm. to go out and e-bird, let's say even your yard or, or your local patch or, or, or you know, just something that's barely a park and you're just a little bit of open space. And the answer I just want to um, convey is that's an emphatic yes, that not only is it like allowed or acceptable, uh, it's actually really valuable. So. Well, that's good um, to know. I mean, I would do it even if it wasn't <laughs> because right. I enjoy these sort of checklists, these sort of um, numbers for my own sake you know i like to i like to i, I feel like i'm like a lot of e-birders and that i like mm-hmm. to sometimes go back and, and look at all the times i've seen oh totally i don't know buffle heads in my county and just kind of reminisce of like you know when when i've seen those and where and any particularly good experience with that species um it's nice to have all that data for your sure. own kind of personal edification and uh, it, i mean it's sort of a selfish way to look at ebird a little bit but mm-hmm. that is data that you're pumping back into the system and it's, sure. it's it's churning out this good this good data that you can use to do all sorts of interesting conservation or bird finding things yeah. it's it's the easiest way to help birding to to give back to the community and get something for yourself as well it's sure it's, yeah. that's what you, makes um, eBird so appealing in yeah. some sense. and 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 as i think you probably know you know i've been um, eBirding daily for a long time yes. and yeah. and it's it's really cool just to be able to go back in the record and see exactly what you so today's march 2nd 2023 but you know, mm-hmm. i could see what i was doing on march 2nd 2013 um yeah. which you'll off the top of my head i have no idea but but the, but the record exists out there that's really a, a cool feature of eBird as well and the following is only sort of 
partly tongue in cheek, but the I, mean, I think I mentioned that the Bohemian Waxwing was my last bird of the day, and of course I was delighted to see Bohemian Waxwings, but I was kind of weirdly almost disappointed, and I, I'm sort of joking when I'm saying that because like it was the only quote unquote good bird on my list. I, I kind of wanted to have like a really <laughs> ordinary checklist, and the Bohemian yeah. Waxwing would have actually kept me one. Yeah. It would get me one short of you, so I would have one species fewer than you, and then it would have been nothing but totally ordinary birds yeah. on my checklist. And I got the weirdest um sort of save from the European starling. I, I missed the starling, which I have no idea how I missed European starling, but um, by missing the starling, I was able to keep my list to 35 species, which is the same number <laughs> that you had. So, and I didn't know what total you had at the time, which was yeah. pretty cool. But You know, Ted, we, we did this two years ago, back in yep. 2021 was the first yep. time we pulled out this birding annotated bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just went back and looked at the checklist that was oh, submitted for okay. that. I don't know if that's something you were interested in. I can send you that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but your checklist is very, very similar. Um, <laughs> so what, what was the date of that one? That's, I don't know. Uh, that was, uh, March 2nd. Oh, well, oh it's wait. today. Oh, wow. <laughs> March, March 2nd, 2021. So exactly no two years ago. Oh, that's wild. That was the last time we did this. Yeah. Hmm. But a lot of the same, a lot of the same species, uh, Eurasian collar dove. Yeah, uh, actually, you had, I mean, you had a hybrid flicker. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and you know, actually it's funny when you mentioned earlier that we didn't, See the same flick. Thirty-six species, funnily enough. Oh, thirty-six. Oh, see, I'm, I'm sli- exactly. I'm, and I didn't have a Bohemian, so there must have been something else. Um, you, most of my flickers today, I just use the northern sort of um, grab mm-hmm. bag. Uh, I can't say that I didn't see any yellow shafted today. Uh, so I, most of them were just birds heard or you know, not seen well enough to identify them. So red, I would say that red shafted genes are our um, default here. Mm-hmm. But lots of flickers, if they're if they're looked at carefully enough, have some yellow shafted in them. Yeah. I'm looking well. at my own checklist, which is only 27 species because right. I didn't go to a, a lake. And um, gotcha. I was, I'm missing fish crow mm. on that one from two years ago. But this time, I had several fish crow. That was my most common corvid. You, you so have me intrigued here. So. I'm, I'm pulling up this checklist. Right yeah, here, right. So. I, I, yeah. That's, so it's exactly, you know, just so that the audience knows, I, I assumed that it was not intended that it was exactly two No, two that's, years completely, ago. that's kinda, completely random. So you yeah. said a 2021, right? So, yeah, oh, there March second, twenty twenty-one. I was I, I rose earlier that day, but yeah, there's a thirty-six species, and yeah, it, it does look awfully similar. Awfully I'm just sort similar. of yeah. go through. Well, there's like it's freakishly. I had a downy woodpecker <laughs> that day. I did not but, have a uh, fox sparrow, so. okay. and I did have cedar wax wings to go, um, you know, for your bohemians. So. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, no, but as you said, really quite quite similar. So how about that? Yeah. Right. What are the odds? Yep. I guess uh, March is our our annotated birding. Yes, we'll have to do this again on uh, March 2nd, 2025. We'll see where you are. Thanks, Ted. Um, I hope you enjoyed your your birding this morning. I certainly did. It's nice to uh, get out and, and march at a time when I normally would just not go not go birding. <laughs> so it, it felt good to get out. Um, you, as, as usual, we will put these checklists and all the media that we have uh, on the show notes for this episode, which will come out a week after we um, we had our discussion today. So um, please look out for that. Otherwise, um, Ted, great to talk to you about uh, your, your birding around your home. I'll see you, see you down the road. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm now hopelessly behind with the work I was supposed to get done today, but, but, but it was a wonderful, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it, would not have done it differently. So thanks (laughs) so much for getting me outside. And uh, now it's uh, back to, uh, back to ABA related work. So very good. Well, thanks so much. And I appreciate it. 
The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the American Birding Association. You get lots of great benefits, including our magazines, discounts to partners like Beautio Books, Princeton University Press, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do all of that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Paul Benham of Albion, Maine, Alec Goodjar of Chambly, Quebec, Diane Hines of Darlin, Connecticut, Joshua Horvitz of Arlington, Virginia, and Sandra Schoner of Atco, New Jersey. All of them recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as their reason for doing so. It means so much to me that folks continue to join. Thank you. Welcome to the ABA. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who is pretty sure the Tolstoy paraphrase from the beginning of the show was written in Anna's Humming and Anna. Technical production is by John Lowry, who, as a Great Lakes birder, is very familiar with efforts to check off the seagulls. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz, who refers to any flock of Mexican eagles feasting on roadkill as the Brothers Caracaras. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere, as American Birding Association. On Twitter, we are at ABA. It is said that all of Russian literature is built on suffering, but have Russian writers ever known the suffering that is a silent flycatcher on a drizzling October morning when your socks are wet, your cell phone is on 1%, and you left your camera's memory card at home? I don't think so. Questions, comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Till next week.